0: What's going on guys? So today's episode I have on with you Richie Kirwan, talking about a topic that most people probably don't think about especially when you're younger and that is sarcopenia. So the the loss of muscle as you age and it's definitely something that's really important and as you'll learn Richie mentioned that it's really only become a classified disease in the last couple of years but definitely affects everybody as they get older. So Richie is doing his PhD at John Moore's University in Liverpool. He's studying specifically sarcopenia and how it relates to cardiovascular risk and today's topic is, is something very interesting and something that I've learned a lot about from Richie here it's not something that I often do a lot of research into like most of the people who aren't quite that old yet I don't really um, take it into or, or take my my body and my my health for granted so to speak but I'm definitely going to be looking a lot more into it uh, from here on out if you are a first listener to this podcast please do hit that subscribe button so you can get more great episodes and great guests and learn from great guests like richie in the future and please do share this on your social media platforms you can tag richie at b underscore more underscore nutrition or myself at adam mac 192 let us know what you think let us know if you learned anything it just helps share the podcast it helps give me some feedback see what's good what's working what people like. And finally, before we get into the episode, I want to mention the podcast sponsors for this episode, and that is endeavanutrition.co.uk. I've been using some of their supplements for the last month or so, their pre-workout formula, their nootropic formula, and their sleep formula, as well as their, their creatine and their greens formula. Find that they're really great products, the non-proprietary blends all evidence-based, research-based, and why I'm backing this company. If you want to try them out, you can get the link in the show notes and use the discount code PODCAST10 to get a small percentage off of that as well. But without further ado, let's get into this episode with Richie Kirwan So Richie, thanks for joining the podcast today. It's great to chat to you again, man.
1: Thanks for having me on, Adam. Uh, absolutely honoured to, to come on board with you.
0: Yeah, yeah, great, man. Um, um, it's been a while since we we've met and I don't know if people can understand your accents, but you're a fellow Irishman, but you're you're, you're not based in Ireland, right? So let us know uh, kind of what you're doing, where you are, and you know a little bit about yourself for those who don't know about you.
1: Absolutely, F- fellow Irishman, indeed. And if you can't understand it at this point, guys, the accent's not going to get any better. Um, so uh, yeah, um, I'm I'm actually based in Liverpool at the moment. I so yeah, to kind of give you a bit of background, I'm. I got into nutrition uh, originally, you know, for the same old reasons that everybody gets into it. You know, um, I used to be overweight when I was uh, uh, younger. Uh, got into nutrition, got into exercise back then, um, and I did, decided not to do nutrition in university, um, even though I was a big science geek, because my parents didn't think it was that much of a viable career option, which kind of, that ages me considerably uh, when you think about uh, what, what era I'm speaking about. Um, so I got into general science, uh, did a degree in general science, went around traveling after I graduated for a while, traveling and working. Um, but nutrition is always something that I absolutely loved. So I decided I wanted to do it full time. It's just something I can talk about forever. So went back to the master's in Barcelona for a year, set up my business, um, started working as an online coach. And I also realized that I, I just love nutrition so much that I wanted to get more into academia. So now I'm doing my PhD in uh, Liverpool John Moores University and I'm doing my PhD research in the area of um, so there's a lot of different things involved but it's uh, body composition specifically muscle mass um, and sarcopenia which is muscle loss uh, and how that relates to um, cardiac risk factors so cardiovascular disease uh, diabetes um, in a specific population. So I, I work with cardiac rehab populations and I'm sure we'll get to talk about that, uh, during the podcast. Um, but that's kind of like a, a general overview of, of where I'm from and what I do.
0: Yeah. Thanks for that, man. And, um, I think, yeah, I, I don't know why I got interested in nutrition as well. It's, I don't think I was like you alluded to that everybody got into it because they were fat when they were younger. <laughs> My apologies. <laughs> <laughs> Big sweeping statements. Shouldn't make those. <laughs> Uh, everybody in nutrition that got, gets into it where, where fat when they were kids um <laughs> I, I can quote you on that now i i, I can't remember <laughs> why but I, I did take a a kind of similar approach to it as well i when i was trying to do we have a bit of a unique situation in ireland and i know there's like a lot of um like people are listening from outside of ireland and the uk as well but in ireland and the uk you have this unique situation where you actually have to know what you want to do when you're 18 straight from like secondary high school and you have to commit to that so if you want to do financial i don't know investing or if you want to be a a mechanical engineer you have to know that at 18 and then just do that whereas in the u.s you can obviously spend a lot more money and get yourself into a lot more debt but one upside to that is you get to to do a lot of random subjects for the first year and then kind of you know get your your feet wet so to speak and then pick what you want to do so um i was the same as yourself when you're 18 like the first thing you want to do is like get out of the house with of, of mom and dad and and, <laughs> and get money so you're like what 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 can i get a job in like money um and i, I did the same thing I, I think i think i wanted to do dietetics which was in trinity college which is most people in ireland would have heard of that but uh i think it was really high points and i wasn't like really bad in school like it was Maybe a B plus A minus student, but you need to be like A plus and everything student to get into that course. Um, Because for some reason, I thought that if you didn't have dietetics um, and you went to the other college that offered nutrition in Dublin at least, that you weren't a dietitian or nutritionist. That that was bad because that's what you know when you're 18, right? You don't really know much about qualifications. So, so I didn't get into that because it was pretty high. So, defaulted to my second choice, which was like business languages. What did you actually do as your undergraduate degree?
1: So my undergrad was um, biological sciences. Uh, I did that at UCC, University of College of Cork, and um, I specialised in microbiology.
0: Oh, okay. That's it's really hard that topic. Um, I haven't gone back and doing it. It,
1: last. it is. It's it's super interesting. Like looking yeah. back on it, it's it's super cool when I think about like all the stuff that you can do with it. But um, it wasn't where my passions lie. Just, yeah, you did business and languages. What 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 languages did you do?
0: I did French, actually, just French. So. I, I, the only reason I did that was because um, you had a better chance, or you know, it was an obvious chance of going abroad to do an Erasmus, which was basically a, a year to just party and not do a whole lot. Whereas if you just did a, if you just did a normal degree, so to speak, without the language, there was a you had to be good at your class, or you had to get good grades. So at least I knew that I was guaranteed to go abroad and spend the extra year just to. I don't know, It was worth it. I mean, but. Uh, not much use to be honest anymore, other than being able to speak a little bit of French if I go to France, which I rarely do, and they all speak English anyway. But um, but yeah, I, I'm. What parts of now. France
1: are you going to?
0: Uh, yeah, I actually don't really like France to be honest. I I, I wouldn't want to live there. Uh, nice weather, but I prefer to live in Spain. I just think it's a more relaxed lifestyle. But um, but yeah, sorry. To tell us a little bit more about you, what are you specifically doing. I know you talked about because of the lockdown and stuff that uh research is being put on hold um and an interesting enough when i spoke to peter Fishin um a couple of weeks ago he mentioned that like he's real into big bodybuilding as well he's a pro bodybuilder and a coach um but he said like oh when we're doing research we had to do we had to do like uh i think his was something to do with kidney disease and and, and hypertrophy because like nobody's going to fund uh, you know, a study on how to how somebody grows their biceps from 17 to 17 and a half inches. Um, I I actually wonder where Brad Schoenfeld gets all his money for his research. Unless he's running some cartel or something, but it's uh, but it's pretty interesting. See, so, so I, tell us. I
1: I don't think Brad, and like I could be wrong, and like it's it's dangerous saying this on a podcast, but I don't think Brad has to look for a huge amount of the funding himself because I know he works with a lot of collaborators, um, on on projects. So I'm sure that they probably put in a lot of the legwork and they get Brad on board for his expertise in in the area, which, which is the ideal, which every kind of like academic is looking for. You know, you want to build up your position in life to get to a position where other people come and say to you, Hey, come work with us. We'll do do the work.
0: That's true actually. And, and not the, the, I have no idea what, how his kind of research works, but I, I've heard and maybe not even in this field, but in other fields that someone that's quite, prolific or well-known they will like be put on certain papers and vice versa and i'm not saying that that's what they do but yeah you actually make a lot of sense there where it, you know they'll be brought in to, to, to oversee something or to give some help but but not like me go getting starting phd next week and then uh, and then trying to do a study so so tell us like what's that like for you do you, do you have to get all your funding yourself and, and and what specifically are you kind of researching into I know you mentioned yeah. about, like, sarcopenia. It would actually be good if you could explain that. I don't want to take for granted everybody knows what that actually means.
1: Absolutely, yeah. So, yeah, it's – it's. um I was very, very lucky when I was looking for a PhD. I happened to find one that was – it just ticked so many boxes when it comes to my own interests. So, uh, when I found my PhD, the original title was something along the lines of um, a high-protein – uh, Mediterranean diet and resistance exercise for the amel- amelioration of cardiometabolic risk markers in ca- cardiac rehab, which is an absolutely, it just rolls off the tongue, really, really catchy title. Um, so what we're looking at is we work with people in cardiac rehab and just for anybody who doesn't know, if you have a heart attack uh, or if you have some sort of a cardiac event, or if you're at a high risk of a cardiac event, you'll often get sent to cardiac rehab and it's usually an exercise program that will have some advice about diet and nutrition. And it's basically a lifestyle program that is there to help people get exercising, improve their diet and hopefully reduce their risk factors for cardiovascular disease. So things like uh, reduce their blood lipids, like uh, their uh, regular cholesterol, uh, reduce uh, triglycerides, reduce their blood sugar, things like that. Um, and the thing with cardiac, with that type of uh, uh, program is it's very very aerobic exercise based so it focuses a lot on you know jogging and walking and like rowing machines and stuff like that and what we think is that so i suppose supposed to give a little bit of background in cardiovascular disease there's something called the obesity paradox and the obesity paradox shows that at people who have a higher body mass index so a higher BMI um, tend to have a lower mortality rate, so they don't die as easily as people who have a lower BMI. So that doesn't kind of make sense. So if we think somebody with a higher BMI, they're probably somebody who is a little bit, uh, they've got a higher adiposity compared to somebody with a lower BMI. So we would automatically think that the person with higher adiposity is going to, you know, be more at risk of a heart a heart attack and dying from a heart attack. But it's actually the inverse is true: that people with a lower BMI actually tend to have a higher mortality rate, and that's the obesity paradox. Um, The problem with BMI, as you'll know yourself, is that it's just, it gives us a, a very, very rough indication of somebody's body composition. It doesn't really tell us how much muscle they have or how much fat they have. So what we think is that people who have a higher BMI within that cardiovascular population, they've actually got a higher muscle mass. Obviously, they're going to have a high fat mass as well compared to the lower BMI. And that lower BMI is actually going to have, still have a high fat mass will have a lower muscle mass so their body weight is lower and we think that that lower body mass puts them at a greater risk of uh, cardiovascular events so heart attacks and things like that and the reason for that loss of muscle is a thing called sarcopenia and sarcopenia is kind of like the, the the core one of the core elements of my phd and for anybody who might not be familiar with it sarcopenia is the age associated loss of muscle mass and muscle function as well um and to give people a bit of an idea basically from your 30s onwards like and we think it starts as early as your 30s it's usually around your 40s um people start losing muscle so much so that you know if there have been some studies that have shown that you know people between their 20s and their 80s they can lose up to 40 percent of their muscle mass which is a huge amount of muscle um but if you think about it when we consider older people we often look at them as being a lot, you know, frailer and smaller, and that's because they lose a lot of muscle mass. And um, so my research, what we want to do is we want to see if, if we can change that muscle mass through resistance exercise and through diet, uh, can we improve their cardiovascular risk markers? So, you know, again, their cholesterol, their, their blood sugar, things like that. And can we reduce and eventually obviously we want to find out if we can reduce the risk of somebody having some sort of a health condition. And obviously we've got a, a resistance exercise strategy and we've got a certain diet strategy that you know hopefully we we'll, uh, we we'll get a chance to speak about today as well
0: that's that's really interesting uh, a few points to mention there i remember on the bmi thing i guess when they look at the bmi there's probably two groups of people with a high bmi the people who are you know low low lean body mass or at, let's say low lean or low muscle mass but high body fat and then people who are Probably higher body fat, but also higher lean body mass as well. And and I don't know if the the research has separated those two and, and said one's a higher risk category. Well, someone who's actually a higher body mass but has similar amount of lean body mass is that someone who's lower BMI but had a similar lean body mass because one's leaner. You know, are, are they more susceptible to cardiovascular risk events versus someone who's like let's say qu- quite high BMI but actually they've got quite a bit of muscle mass because they're you know let's say not let, let's not say bodybuilders but they're active maybe they do sports or they use some sort of weight training or have done at least some point in their life and need a, a good quality diet so yeah th-
1: there is a bit of research on that area specifically and it, it's been done quite simply up until now and there's obviously a lot more research out there but there have been studies that have looked at do we have uh, if we can compare people who have low fat mass and low muscle mass with people with high fat mass, low, low muscle mass, then uh, high muscle mass, low fat mass and high muscle mass, uh, high fat mass. And funnily enough, or not surprisingly, um, the people with the high muscle mass and low fat mass are actually the healthiest individuals. They've got the lowest rates of cardiovascular events, whereas those with the lowest m- amounts of muscle mass t- tend to have higher rates of cardiovascular events. And there's a lot of reasons for that, you know, um, because of how muscle works and because of what that says about somebody because obviously muscle is related to somebody's diet like you mentioned in the past it's also related to their activity levels and that can have a huge effect on Mm. um, cardiovascular health too
0: yeah one thing i find funny is that when like people try to confirm their biases like especially bodybuilders and promote muscle building for health and they'll say you know being more muscular is is healthier as if it's a linear a linear kind of scale where it's like you're 120 kilos of muscle mass which is not even physiologically possible without super physiological doses of testosterone but yet getting more muscular is going to be more healthy and but but when we talk about like being being more muscular or having more lean body mass is, is healthier it's to a point where it probably has a a very big drop off um you know getting to like being everyone doesn't need to become a bodybuilder right you don't need to become a bodybuilder to get the health benefits you just have to probably have some uh level of lean body mass but another thing you mentioned which is quite funny was uh after i did my one of my shows bodybuilding shows last year um in dublin actually or actually no in cork um i went to the nhs expo in london i think it was it's was manchester or london i can't remember like about two days later and you know, I didn't stay on a bodybuilding diet, or it wasn't staying a calorie deficit for those two days. But like, i didn't, I didn't need it like a pig either. But I got on one of these like machines at the expo that like, the guy was explaining to me whatever. I don't know if he's a clinician or just probably a tech sales guy. But he was saying it's worth a couple of grand. Is you know they're very accurate. And he, my BMI was like really high, and he's like, you probably need to lose a bit of, a little bit of weight. And I lit. It was like, I was literally probably. It's five or six percent body fat because I got Dexa scan a few weeks before and I had got leaner. So it's it's pretty funny how like the BMI can get messed up. But uh, you know, there's not many people who walk around with a lot of body mass. You know, Le- lean body mass. That,
1: that that's a it's a really really good point. Like pe- people hate on BMI, and there are plenty of reasons to hate on it. Um, like that thing I mentioned earlier, the obesity paradox. That only exists if you measure people's body composition with BMI. Okay, um, that only exists within the BMI spectrum, but so like you have to think that why do we use BMI? And it's because it's super easy to measure. It's like uh, it's basically somebody's height and weight. Um, it's it's an easy thing to measure, and it does give us really really good information because you know we can we can look at our population and we can look at our population over time and say okay there has been a steady increase in BMI over time, um, and people might say to you. Oh man, but like that doesn't tell us anything about muscle mass. God, like, you know, there's people like if I'm going to ask you, if you look at the general population yeah. and you see that BMI over going up over time, are you going to say, oh, well, maybe the majority of those people are just really jacked and really, really big? That that's not the case. Like the general population, that <laughs> yeah. increase in BMI is being stimulated by mm. you know a, an increase in adiposity. People are gaining weight, gaining body fat over time. Um So if we're looking at population levels, it's great. Uh, But if we want to kind of look at the individual, yes, we we do need to look at other um, factors. You know, BMI isn't the best tool, but it is a tool nonetheless that we have to kind of, you know, we have to be aware of its limitations and of its benefits as well.
0: Yeah, no, you're right. I mean, I was kind of like that before, like a couple of years ago when when I, I suppose I first started educating myself or start learning a bit more about bmi and maybe some of the limitations of it and, and uh, you know painting everyone with the same brushes if everyone's some like athlete or something like that everyone plays rugby like the, the, the it's probably a percentage of a one percent of people who actually are going to it's not going to apply for because they have too much muscle mass and most people and they're probably like you know guys in their young in their early 20s or or teenagers or something like that whereas for everybody else you just go outside and walk around like i live in dublin here you walk around you'll just see you know it's pretty much applicable for everybody you know everybody um so you mentioned something about the sarcopenia um you know or at least muscle loss coming up, coming coming on as early as your 30s and that would scare a lot of people i mean so i've got two more years or a year and a half and then i'm pretty screwed i'm just gonna and, Actually, i, better should, a
1: baby, you're grand.
0: I should, should give up my bodybuilding now i'm just gonna get worse from from, from the age of 30 on Um, but no in in reality is that something that we actually see do you know is this in just general population of people who are inactive who don't eat enough protein and you know guys who are say older maybe say they're in their late 20s or early 30s and they're getting into say lifting and they're often concerned about hearing about this muscle loss and um you know it it sounds quite scary that you know well what's the point in even trying if i if i can't make any gains or Am I going to just start looking worse now because I'm in my thirties? Because I'm going to start losing muscle mass. You know what? What are your thoughts on that? Or is what you said does that apply to everybody, or is that just applied to people who are just you know generally physically inactive? Or or is this something that we really uh, can we can we stave it off? Can we push it out um, without the use of like testosterone placement therapy? Um, it would be good to hear your opinion on that as well. When you, when you mentioned about these elderly people who uh, who are like who need more muscle mass to kind of to to you kind know, of to, to to ameliorate some of these cardiovascular risks. I was thinking like what if you just gave them some testosterone? <laughs> like you know, they gain some pretty muscle pretty fast in in terms of trying to get an old person to lift weights. And I know there's some pretty significant uh gains they can make if someone's a new lifter, even even over the age of seventy five, I was reading recently the new study, um, funnily enough by brad schoenfeld um, plus probably many others. <laughs> um but yeah, what are your thoughts? I kind of rambled there for a bit.
1: No, so yeah, like that's, it's a really, really relevant question. Um, I'll talk uh, I'll, I'll talk to the first point first, um, bring me back onto the testosterone at the end in case I forget to get to it. Um, so with sarcopenia, that, it's really, really important to consider those things that you mentioned. Is it just in the general population? And yeah, when we look at sarcopenia, we have to talk about the general population. Um, and if we ask, I suppose an important question to ask is why does sarcopenia happen in the first place? And there's a number of reasons for it, and I will say that the principal reason for sarcopenia, and it's it's probably one of the most important factors to consider when we're trying to to counter the effects of sarcopenia, is people become less active the older they become. So we, you know, if we think about it, physical activity you know, it probably for, for some people, it peaks in their, in their, you know, when their children and from there on, it just goes down, it goes downhill. Um, but people become less active as we get older, you know, like I know myself, I, like I, in the university, um, or at home now at the moment, working from home, I spend the majority of my time sat down in front of a computer, um, doing work from there. Mm-hmm. And I, I like, You're losing I, muscle
0: mass as we're speaking right now.
1: <laughs> exactly. Like, you know, I, like, I, I think the, the the fact that people spend so much sit, time sitting down, and this is another conversation, it's it's detrimental to health. But people become less active uh, when people get older. When they retire, you know, you're told when you're when you're retired, it's it's time to relax, take a load off. As people get older, and we know that from our fifties, sarcopenia speeds up a lot. When people get older, they just do less. You know, they don't walk around as much. They don't do as much structured uh, exercise. They don't. Uh, carry their groceries as much people become less active and when people become less active there's no stimulus on the muscle and we all we all know like or at least everybody who's listening to this podcast will be familiar with the fact that the stimulus for muscle growth comes from our exercise the exercise that we do that stimulates muscle growth and everything that we do on top of that taking supplements taking uh, getting enough protein that's all complementary to that process that helps augment that process but the original stimulus comes from muscle. So if we take away that original stimulus, that's why the body's like, okay, what what am I holding on to all this muscle for? There's no need for it. We start to lose it over time. Um, And there's other problems that come along with age as well. So one, when we get older, we know that there's an increase in in levels of inflammation and inflammatory cytokines in the body. We know that increases in certain um, uh, inflammatory cytokines within the blood, that they can actually reduce the hypertrophic response in the body. Um, We know that as we get older, uh, we don't digest protein as well. So we don't absorb as many amino acids. So we actually need to eat more protein to stimulate um, a muscle protein synthesis. Uh, We know that hormonal factors change as we get older. We know testosterone starts decreasing um, about 1% per year from our 30s onwards. Um, So there's a lot of factors that come together, and they can contribute to something that we call anabolic resistance. And what that means is basically when we try to stimulate muscle growth, we need a greater stimulus the older we get to stimulate the same amount of muscle growth. And that happens in two forms it happens in the amount of exercise that we need and the amount of protein that we need. So, uh, as we get older, there has been research done that has shown that older people need more intense or higher volumes of exercise to stimulate uh, significant muscle protein synthesis. Um, and the same goes for their protein intake. We know that, um, for example, young people can probably stimulate protein maximally with 20 grams of whey protein. And with older people, it may be close to double that. So close to 40 mm. grams of whey protein to stimulate muscle growth. Um, so these are major factors that contribute to that loss of muscle over time. Um, and like we, you know, hopefully we'll we have time to speak about some of the countermeasures for that. But People might say, okay, look, if I'm older, it doesn't matter if I lose muscle, you know, like, okay, so what? I'm not going to look as jacked at the beach when I'm 70 years old. You know, that, that's a legitimate, legitimate concern. You know, you might, you might be worried about that. But um, the big thing is that it's not just a loss in muscle mass. We know that sarcopenia is associated with a, an even greater loss of muscle function, and that's and muscle strength, and that's called dynapenia, and it's something people don't speak about a lot. Um, But dynapenia is the loss of muscle strength and function as we get older. And that has a huge amount of effects on our life. So for example, and and I'm going to talk about this, and I know a lot of your listeners are younger bodybuilder guys, and this doesn't, they think, you know, none of this matters to me. Think of it like this. When you get older, if you lose muscle function, and you get to the point where you can't walk up a stairs without assistance, or you can't get out of bed without assistance, or you need, you're not able to bring your groceries home, or you're not able to put, you know, like a heavy cans of whatever beans into the, the highest shelf in your fridge or something like that. When you lose that freedom of motion, when you lose that muscle function, it has major effects on your life. We also know that the loss of muscle has major effects on cardiovascular health. So people with uh, sarcopenia tend to have higher rate, lev- risk of cardiovascular disease you've got higher levels of diabetes because when you think about it muscle is is the biggest dump or sink for for glucose in our body and if your muscle is smaller and inactive and less quality you're not going to be able to dispose of glucose as easily um we know it's associated with um uh, mental decline uh so with uh, cognitive decline it's associated with depression, um, which, which is probably because like, if you, if you feel like you're unhealthy and you're not able to do all the things you're normally able to do, you're not able to go out and see your friends, you're going to get depressed. Um, it's associated with, uh, osteoporosis. There are a huge amount of conditions associated with this, with muscle loss. And that's why it's incredibly serious. But I also think that it's something that is very, very easily remi- remedied as well. And we'll get to that. Um, mm but I've just, just remembered the, that you did mention something on testosterone. And testosterone, or um, actually anabolic steroids, were uh, originally invented to help prevent uh, muscle loss. Uh, That's right, right? It was di-
0: dianabol, I think, or something like that, right? Was it? Exactly,
1: yeah. It, it, yeah. One of its original uses was... So if you think of it like this, um, people lose muscle mass when they're inactive, like I said. Uh, and so when are people most inactive? If they're in bed all the time. And when are people in bed all the time? If they're in a nursing home or if they're in hospital and we know that in nursing homes, the rates of sarcopenia can be as high as 40% plus um, because people are just not active at all. And in hospital, we know that people tend to lose a lot of muscle mass very, very easily. Like You you can actually lose um, uh, over a kilo of muscle in a week um, from just being bed bound in a hospital. So Dianabol, one of its original uses was to help prevent that loss of muscle over time. And testosterone replacement therapy is a, um, a valid strategy nowadays to help prevent and reduce sarcopenia in, in older people. And I think, from from my perspective, I think that's an absolutely viable uh, option for people. Like, if I was to say to you, let, let, let's just imagine that, you know, uh, we're not in the world of bodybuilding, we're not in the world of powerlifting, um, and I said, okay, you've got a medical condition. The only way to treat it is with give, by giving you a certain hormone. Okay. So actually let, let, let's talk about, um, thyroid. Say you've got a uh, hypothyroidism, your thyroid levels are low. So we're going to supply some of the T3 hormone to you. That's, that seems reasonable, right? Because, you know, we're, we're giving you something you're deficient in to help, pre- to, you know, uh, preserve your health. Does that sound reasonable?
0: Yeah, yeah, no, it does absolutely.
1: Yeah. So with testosterone, it's the same way. The only thing is now within certain populations, if you say testosterone it's like, Oh no, I'm not taking this t- testosterone. I want to be natty. You know, I'm, you know, mm-hmm. I'm not going on, I'm not going to go on roid's or fail, fail, fail a test or something. But for older people, they don't give a damn about being natty. They just want to be able to do what they do normally and live a healthy and a vibrant life. So I think, Testosterone, if that can help them with that, and it, there are plenty of studies that show that it can help improve muscle mass in older people and a lot of other um, improvements in just general health and well being. Um, I think it's a great option. And like I will say it like now, if if I ever got to a point in my life where you know my doctor said, Yeah, we probably need to put you on testosterone, I'd be like, Do it, yeah, great, I'll just go into a new mm-hmm. cycle of bodybuilding and put on all the mass that I never gained when I was a kid, you know?
0: Tr- Tremblone, trembolone, ball Everything. Oh yeah, just
1: put put me on everything, Doc. <laughs>
0: i've already got them in my drawer i've been waiting for the day for you to say go <laughs> um now I, yeah i think i don't know much about the the kind of the medical field in terms of what they suggest and stuff but i've rarely i've rarely heard of anybody being prescribed testosterone really at least in ireland i know there's like wellness clinics in the u.s and stuff so i don't know if i if i ask my parents or my my grandparents the ones that are raining if, if you talked about steroids they'd probably just think or testosterone they'd probably just they might, they might know what it is. My, my grandparents might know what it is, but then if they did, they probably just, oh yeah, bodybuilders. Like, you know, so I think they, there's maybe just an education piece in certain, certain countries. Uh, to, And then I don't know how the practices are with doctors as well. And I know that, you know, I'm not sure. I'm sure at some point it will catch on. And I think with younger people, it's probably, they're the ones who are saying, you know, I don't want to be a fake natty. I mean, the, uh, I think more in the elderly people, it's more just an educational piece and, um. Yeah, because you know, a lot of elderly people take a lot of medication anyway. So, I mean, I don't know what they do for testosterone or if it's like uh, gels or something like that, right? It's not like you don't you don't use uh, injectables, I don't think at least. Um. But yeah, but going back on, sorry, go ahead.
1: No, I was just going to say, so like one of the reasons for that kind of lack of education is because I think sarcopenia is only starting to become more spoken about now um it was only officially classified as a disease i think it was 2017 or 2018 um so it's a very very recent diagnosis so i don't think doctors considered it to be a major issue um previously which means that it's not something that they would have spoken about like you know they, they wouldn't have been told to look out for it like look out for sarcopenia and older people if you see signs of it you know something needs to be done um uh, so that's why people wouldn't hear about it. But I think we're going to hear more about it now just because of its link with other health factors, um, mm. kind of as we, as we move forward, it's going to become more important. Yeah.
0: yeah that, that's interesting. Um, and I, I've always said it, even though I compete in natural body wonders, I, I've, you know, I definitely would consider if I'm older and I, I felt like let's say I'm in my fifties or whatever, and I felt it was actually having an impact. I don't think it probably wouldn't have an impact for me able to put like cans of beans at that age. Um, but maybe me feeling like I don't know if you have low testosterone you can get you can have some some low ebbs or you can you know, mentally you might feel a bit more blue or depressed um you know other other functions such as sexual function et cetera like I started to feel like it actually had an impact on me and I've had low testosterone before because after a bodybuilding comp prep you you do and i, I when I did my very first one i was twenty one and i had not i didn't know what was wrong with me I actually had to go to the doctor. And they actually did talk about using testosterone if it didn't come back uh, to normal. But once I figured out that it was what it was, I kind of, I knew that it would come back because I'd read about, you know, uh, you're actually getting low testosterone after you get really lean and that it comes back within like six months. And lo and behold, a few months later it was, it was normal again. So not that it doesn't happen to be anymore, but I'm just prepared for it. And I know that it's it's just a kind of a point in time. And um, so, it, it, but, but I, at times I've felt like if I had to feel this way all the time for the rest of my life, like it wouldn't be great, you know, because you, you're low energy, but also on top of that, whether it's correlation or causation, you have a low mood as well, just not motivated and stuff like that. So yeah, I wouldn't be against it at all when I'm older, uh, but not for superficial reasons, just so I can get like 10 kilos more muscle than I already have. Like, it's not going to make me any happier. Um, but to go back to the point where you talked about the actual, the causes of, of sarcopenia, um, a few of the things that you mentioned is people just get a lot more active and and one thing that I, or inactive, and one thing that people kind of have a misconception is that like when you hit 30 or something, your metabolism starts to slow down and that's why you pile on more weight. But in reality, you mentioned some of the factors that like, well, you just have more kids, you probably have more money to eat out, you don't play sport or any more you now work in an office and when you get home you just drink some beers and watch tv and yeah maybe you could say your metabolism (laughs) slowed down a bit but but is it really like yeah maybe your your non-exercise activity thermogenesis part of your metabolism but your actual basal metabolic rate isn't slowing down because you're getting older maybe when you're like losing muscle i'm sure it does, but. To the extent that people think about it, it's it's more just. I won't say people giving up, but they're just accepting that I'm I'm getting older now, so this is supposed to happen to me. And um, and it's interesting if we could mitigate and maybe we'll get into them mitigate some of those things because when I get guys who are talking to me that are say not old but like they might be into thirties and they're saying oh well I know that like people start losing their muscle mass and stuff as they get older like does that mean I can't build muscle? Um, and it's, it's actually quite promising to hear that it's actually, it's not, it's not biological necessarily factors. It's, it's not nature, but more nurture or, or, you know, uh, these social, uh, societal or, um, behavioral type factors that actually are a big cause in muscle loss that if you had kept up what you were doing, perhaps we would have seen less muscle loss. And yes, you did mention some stuff about muscle protein synthesis, you know, that, uh, you know the the more anabolic resistance i would like to talk more about that at some point but i'd say it's probably fairly in depth but i, I when we talk about you know building muscle or maintaining muscle we have this muscle protein synthesis and muscle protein breakdown um and, and muscle protein synthesis being stimulated by eating protein but also the stimulus to the muscle from an external load and then the breakdown does that does that actually increase as we get older as well so i, I guess people would think well yes, I can stimulate muscle protein synthesis. So building new muscle through lifting and eating protein, et cetera. But if this muscle protein breakdown is going to be so high when I'm getting older, I may, I'm fighting, you know, I'm pissing in the winds essentially.
1: So yeah, that, and that's a really, really good question to ask. Um, so at, at the moment, there's no consensus on whether muscle protein breakdown increases more than likely Muscle protein breakdown stays relatively consistent throughout our lives. But the big difference is in muscle protein synthesis. And you know that your levels of muscle mass are determined by that balance between muscle protein breakdown and muscle protein synthesis. So if, even if muscle protein breakdown is staying relatively consistent over time, uh, if muscle protein synthesis drops, then that's where we have a case where, oh, we're actually going to be losing muscle over time. And that's where we need to, to consider it. Um, wouldn't, like, I, I wouldn't be surprised if some re- research comes out in the future and says that, oh, yeah, there is a slight increase in muscle protein, protein breakdown too. Because we do know that there is an increase in inflammatory cytokines as we get older, that there's those reductions in, um, basically the, there's kind of a switch to a more catabolic process, more catabolic mm. processes as we get older. Um, but yeah, it, it is a matter of, working with the side of the equation that we can and that's the muscle protein synthesis side of things and we need to to kind of start tackling it from that option what can we do to increase that mps over time
0: yeah so i mean for people who already lift and and eat protein is there anything that they they can do extra or or what or what are your thoughts on that and then for people who say or just getting into it or let's say haven't been consistent, but they're starting to think about maybe health. And I know people start thinking about their health a bit more when they get over themselves a bit as they get older. Um, and they don't just think about aesthetics. Um, and maybe that's the reason why they're getting into lifting or eating well. Um, you know, I'm kind of focusing on that, not focusing on it, but be, be a bit more aware of it as they get older as well. Um, just general health and longevity. So people won't be getting into that way. What kind of advice would you have or, you know, is there anything particular that we need to do or focus on, or is it is it simply just lift weights? And you mentioned something about volume as well, the volume of training. Does that mean now somebody's doing twenty sets a week has to do thirty sets a week? Um, what are your thoughts so, yeah, there? The, 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 there?
1: There's a there's a lot in that, and they're, they're all really really relevant points. I suppose the first thing to think about is okay, what what can we do to increase muscle protein synthesis? And One is do resist train, do resistance exercise, do any kind of exercise really that gets you moving, gets stimulated muscle. But obviously resistance exercise is one of the best for stimulating muscle growth. We know that. Um, so do that. That's that's one of the best things that you can do. And then on the other side is get plenty of protein in your diet. There's obviously some supplements and there's some uh, other uh, uh, compounds that we can take into our diet, other nutrients that are beneficial for muscle, muscle growth. But uh, protein is by far the best one and getting it in sufficiently and sufficiently regularly to stimulate muscle growth is important, but we've got, let's say we've got two groups of people. We've got the younger people who are like, let's say, you know, in their twenties or thirties. And then we've got older people that we need to, to look at. And with the younger people, I would say is just train, just train, get a decent amount of muscle onto your frame. And like I, and like you said earlier, that is by no means telling people you need to be a bodybuilder. If you want to look after your muscle, use your muscle. Okay be somewhat strong. Okay. And I, I can't be any more specific than that, but be somewhat strong, be able to use your body. Okay. Um, and if you can do that, and if you can maintain your exercise levels over time, you are going to be in a much better position, you know, 20, 30, 40 years down the line than somebody who does absolutely no exercise at all. Okay. So exercise is your friend, you know, look after yourself now, and you will be in a much better position in, in the future. Like that, There's nothing radical about that but for somebody who's older um the same rules apply like people think oh like i'm if you're dealing with a 70 year old you know it's like i'm 70 now there's not much i can do you know you with all this anabolic resistance that's not true we know that there's plenty of studies studies in people who are in their 80s who are able to put on muscle with resistance exercise over time now none of them are turning into arnold schwarzenegger but like they're they're all getting bigger they're all putting on more Mm. muscle and more importantly They're putting on, they're getting more strength. They're getting stronger. And that's really, really important for them. Because if you can take somebody who had difficulty getting out of bed or walking upstairs, and, you know, after three or four months of training, suddenly they can get out of bed by themselves, or they're able to walk upstairs without assistance, you've just changed that person's life, you know? So the resistance exercise and protein still applies for older people um but the the big difference is that with older people they probably need to do it a little bit more regularly like you know still that said if you can get them doing a three resistance exercise two or three times a week i think that's absolutely fantastic um and if you can get them eating protein like a big dose of protein in a couple of meals a day that's fantastic as well the big thing to think about though is with older people making those kind of lifestyle changes is never easy so you kind of have to start from where that person is And, you know, that might be as much as just saying, okay, let's get you walking. Let's start with walking and we'll go from there. Or, like, you know, let's do a little bit more gardening or something like that. Or let's walk up the stairs a couple of times every day. Because not Mm. everybody's going to want to hop into the gym, especially now with corona, especially older people. Like, they're not not going to want to be surrounded by people who are breathing heavy and coughing and spluttering and putting out all of these uh, viral particles everywhere.
0: Yeah, no, no, it's... I've definitely seen it firsthand. hand. Um, i got my car fixed the other day and the mechanic lives beside my grandparents or my granddad. And uh, I remember my granddad had been ever since I can remember, he's been quite frail. I just since I was young, he just seemed old, but I'm sure that's the way it is when you're like five and someone's 65 or whatever. Um, but obviously he's aged the same amount as I have, but uh he, uh, he hasn't really like deteriorated at all. And, um, and my, my, my father, who's a physiotherapist has been doing some sessions with them. Like, I mean, he's not doing like five by five and deadlifts, but like, you know, some squats onto the chair or something like that. And like some very basic exercise and he's just been able to maintain and he's always and the mechanic actually said, I saw your grandfather walking around like the block, you know, and he's, I don't know what age is now. He's over, over 80 anyway. Um but yeah it's but then you can see other people who are just actually in fact his wife who's who died uh, quite a while ago had had like Alzheimer's and she became very inactive from um stopping swimming and uh, and within like a couple of years she was just in a wheelchair and then you know she, she died unfortunately because of alzheimer's, but it just shows the show the complete opposite of you, uh, you know how how little how such a little bit of activity can go a long way, and it's not even like. Going back to the point where I said bodybuilding, saying oh, you know, increases your strength if you have more muscle. For and you know, the person saying that advice is like already 120 kilos. Um, but it, it, like you know, grip strength, grip strength is associated with longevity, and I, I'm sure that's to do with the muscle mass because someone who's, or strength or and, and then muscle mass because someone who can't grip won't have much muscle. But it doesn't mean that you have to be an IPF world's you know over 90 kilo. Uh, top 10 it's just there's a point where just you know okay after this point uh this this information really only applies to general population not to people who are uh trying to increase their their grip strength that can hold 400 kilos instead of 300
1: yes it's the law of diminishing returns like uh, i i think a lot of people and this this happens you know very very easily when they get they start out in the world of nutrition or or fitness um everybody wants to kind of to put people onto the, the their favorite routine, okay? And you know, it might be like a, a six day bodybuilding split, or it might be like you know five by five, like you said, or you know, it, power. We you know with mostly powerlifting movements, people don't need this. Like you know, you don't need people to squat, you know, to 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 get them better. Like you know, if you if you want to to get people, like you said, your grandfather squatting off a chair, sitting up and down off a chair is up. Like that's that is exercise. That is movement. Uh, you don't need people to be ridiculously jacked to be healthy, but people who are regular exercisers are healthier. Simple as that. They have higher levels of muscle mass and their muscle quality is also better as well. Um, and it's just from being active regularly. You like so important. You don't need to be a power lift. You don't need to be a bodybuilder. You just need to be a regular exerciser. And, and it has so many benefits for people um, that like, I, I don't think I, I do justice to just how important exercise is um for looking after us as as we get older. But it is it is vital. And mm-hmm. I think we need to start at where people are with their own level of like physical activity and their own um nutrition, dietary habits, and we need to kind of work from there gradually instead of saying, Okay, um Getting your grandmother and you know who who does nothing except you know gets out of bed and sits in front of the telly every day and just say okay granny uh, today we're doing deadlifts or you know today we're doing clean and jerk uh, <laughs> it, it's not going to work you know uh, that's a it's an easy way yeah. to kill your granny um, So start <laughs> yes. easy and work from where they are
0: <laughs> is there like a a point where like you, you would say that the diminishing ter- returns heavily falls off or or we start to see that that curve so for example someone could say well you know i don't i don't want to lift weights or or eat protein and of course they wouldn't be listening to this if that was the case but um if there is there a point where like someone could just say well i'll, I'll start lifting or start doing some some chair squats when i'm 60 because i don't need to be that strong or i don't need to have that much muscle and i just need to maintain function or is there or would actually a certain amount of lean body mass like above average or, or actually getting in the gym and, and say doing like some, some free weights? Would, is that more beneficial or, or you know, what are your kind of thoughts on that? I know it's a very hard question answer.
1: Yeah, it, it, it is. But like it's relevant as well. Um, and it's very, very hard to quantify that. OK, because the measures that we have for kind of defining sarcopenia, like we, we don't even have a consensus measure for it we have some measures that are quite widely accepted based on the general population and the lean mass within specifically the segmental lean mass. So the the lean mass, um, appendicular lean mass, uh, muscle mass in the arms and legs. And basically if you are below two standard deviations below the average of the population that's classified as sarcopenia, I would say being above average when it comes to muscle mass is a, is of definite benefit because You know, when you think about the average of the general population, it's not exactly a particularly high standard. So by doing any kind of activity, you know, you're doing better. If you're doing some resistance exercise, that's fantastic because that's really what's going to stimulate muscle growth and strength. Um, But, you know, I, I, I would try not to focus too much on the specifics until like you get somebody exercising regularly. And if you can get somebody exercising regularly, then you can say, okay, let's, let's kind of focus on mm-hmm. you know, adding in some, some strength work. But I think strength work is incredibly important. But bef- by, before that, the most important thing is doing something that people would be able to do regularly. And like, I think it's important to say to people, again, how important it is to do this, to start early, to prevent this from ever becoming a problem, um, and to kind of maintain yeah. you know, regular exercise levels throughout your life because it's, mm. it's it's those people it's those people who are regular exercisers that have stronger immune systems they've got um lower levels of mortality lower levels of cardiovascular disease diabetes all of
0: that yeah i think like i heard dr andy galpin talk about it before he's a sports scientist i think in new york works with some usc fighters about comparing like a lot of the research we have with comparing like sick people or people with, with illness for compared to like normal people, you rarely compare them to or look at people who are, you know, above normal or, you know, athletes, for example. So it makes sense if you have more lean mass than the average person, you can't get below average until you get the average first. So you have to, it's just a longer cycle. And, and then if you just think about it from a whole, from a step back point of view, people who are, already active and and lifting weights they have the habits you know you know I'm not I I, I don't foresee myself at at 65 just being like yep can't wait to just sit back in the recliner and read the newspaper and then not be active because it's part of who I am rather than just saying oh thank god I've I've hit my 100 kilo mark of muscle now I can just you know sit back and watch the sarcopenia you know I'm not gonna die from sarcopenia now because I know that uh, something else is going to get me first you know um (laughs)
1: But I, I think I think one thing to take into consideration is like the whole um, uh, concept around muscle memory, and and that being that you mm. know when you build muscle, uh, your body your body is basically if you build muscle and lose it, you're, it's much easier to regain that muscle than it is to gain it in the first place. And, and we know a muscle memory can last for a few years. And I, I I think that it's just important for people to establish a good baseline when they're young and try and maintain that than trying to you know go from absolutely nothing when they're older never having yeah. exercise in their life to building muscle it's still absolutely possible i just think that that person who's been exercising since they were young is going to be in a much better position
0: yeah it's interesting i've been trying to uh, understand how muscle memory works and it's it doesn't seem to be that clear but it's something to do with like myo myonuclei, uh, myonuclei domain theory that you 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 build up a certain amount of myonuclei and and that when the muscle actually shrinks you still hold on to those or re- retain them and then when you lift again you kind of have those signals they, they signal hypertrophy i don't i don't know i don't know what your kind of thoughts are on that but uh
1: yeah like so my own thoughts are, are, are similar to that and i could be completely wrong because it's not my specific area of research um what i've i i have looked into it a bit and th- that is it like you know what you say about myonuclear domain and satellite cells incorporating into muscle the more satellite cells you have and, and you get more satellite cells incorporated into muscle by, by doing resistance exercise and doing everything that you need to build muscle. They stay there and they're, they're actually quite long-lived. And they even if your muscle size shrinks, if the satellite cells stay there, it makes it a lot easier for those muscles to regain size and strength afterwards. So yeah, you, you've nailed it on the head. Now, somebody could listen into this and say, oh no, there's new research out and this is saying it's wrong. Mm-hmm. Then we'll have to accept it because... That research is still very, very much in its early days, and I think there's a, a huge amount that we need to um, to, to learn on it. And I, it'll definitely be interesting whenever new stuff comes out on it.
0: Mm. So, so as a final question, kind of, what what advice would you have for somebody who's, let's say, in that era, that age where perhaps sarcopenia would start to come on, um, or, or I wouldn't even say sarcopenia because you you don't you're not classified as Being in that range, unless you're two standard deviations below. But in in the the age of where perhaps we'll start to see some anabolic resistance, and they actually want to build muscle, and perhaps they're not overly focused on, you know, being able to lift themselves off the toilet just yet. But in thirty years, they might be. uh, But they want to still like get get jacked. You know, for 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 all for all means and purposes, like they want to look ripped and jacked and more muscular. But they're perhaps a little bit disheartened that. You've said that, from the ages of thirty or forty that you 're going to start losing some muscle. What advice would you give to those people um yeah what what are your kind of advice there for them
1: well well if if we take that that key kind of um outcome of getting jacked as as our main outcome it's like lift some weights okay it like it, if if you want to build as much muscle as possible weights it's going to hold through throughout your lifestyle it's true for young people. It's true for older people. It's true for people in the middle. Lift weights, lift them regularly, eat your protein, rest, recovery. All of those things are important. Um, I would say that for people who are doing it from more of a health perspective point of view, it's really, really important that you find something that you absolutely enjoy and you love doing. So for example, like you, like you mentioned before we started this, that you, 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 you play basketball for fun. Somebody goes out and like joins a, an over 50s football team or something like that. That's absolutely brilliant get walking more, like put, bring, make walking part of your daily routine. Like, you know, get up, go for a, a 13 minute walk in the morning. That is really, really good. Go for a cycle in the morning, do as much activity as you possibly can do more chores in, in, in the garden. Like, you know, find something that you can do that you enjoy that will get you moving. And then if you can incorporate resistance exercise, and it can be in w- with weights. It can be with machines. It can be with um, those elastic bands that people use. And those are actually really commonly used for, for very older people in, in nursing homes. Do that and, and do that regularly. When it comes to the nutrition side of things, make sure that you're getting enough protein because that does become an issue, an issue when people get older. If you look at population levels of protein intake in general, Protein intake is quite low in the population, It's especially low in older people. They're not getting enough protein as, as much as they should be recommended. And the recommended dose is quite low. Uh, and you'll also notice that protein distribution is skewed. So they have like breakfasts that are usually really low in protein. Like so I can think of jam and toast or something like that. Um, and then their dinner will have a, a decent chunk. If you can kind of get people to get a nice chunk of protein at breakfast, lunch and dinner, just three times a day, that's a chance for them to stimulate muscle protein synthesis as long as they're exercising frequently too. Um, and then with older people, obviously, like I said, they need a, a larger chunk of pro- protein. So it may be like 40 grams of protein per meal. That is a decent chunk of protein. So you need to consider what options can we have. So like, you know, most older people don't want to take a protein shake. So like you have to recommend things like uh, high protein yogurts or quarks or skiers. or um, if they are willing to take a protein shake, fantastic. You know, they can add that on top of their regular diet. You have to make it as as easy a process for these people to to kinda, uh, to implement into their diet as possible, mm-hmm. so that, getting that protein in is another way, and then from a supplement perspective, I would say that there are a few that are worth talking about making sure people are getting enough vitamin D so they're not deficient, and that's just rife in all populations across Europe. It, vitamin D deficiency is regular it is just ridiculous, um, but we know it has a major impact on uh, muscle growth, so that can be useful. Uh, the same thing goes for omega three fish oils, but generally people need higher doses than than you know they they usually get. So I I'm very very much like two to three grams of combined EPA DHA a day, especially for older people, and that just it's beneficial for cardiovascular health. It's also beneficial for muscle health. Uh, creatine, absolutely amazing supplement. That I think everybody you know could potentially benefit from taking, um, you know, from its cognitive benefits to its its muscular. Benefits and especially its its muscular power output benefits because that's where people older people are really suffering from is they're not able to generate as much power from the muscle, um, and that's why we have so many older people who are, suffer from falls because they they don't have the power to to kind of correct themselves if they're falling. Uh, and then a the last one would potentially be leucine, and that's just to combat the, the effects of not being able to get as much protein into their diet. So, if they can't get enough protein, potentially supplementing meals with leucine could benefit because that helps to stimulate that muscle protein synthesis response. Mm. Yeah, a few- I, I, off my head.
0: as we were talking, I was thinking through this conversation, I was thinking of like the supplement industry hasn't really hasn't really got hold of the elderly population it's such a it's a market that you can they have money they don't work they have a, their pension money they've got a lot of money you can we can we can market to, to them make a lot of money make a lot of bank off it if uh, <laughs> no but in,
1: come uh, up with my own supplement range after yeah, this so.
0: <laughs> yeah in all seriousness though I, I actually maybe there is but I've, I've never seen anything really and maybe it's that people have that kind of mindset of they couldn't be really bothered when they get older compared to when younger people do are it sounds bad, but like, you're right. I mean, young people do care more about their physical appearance and uh, whether that's for, for external reasons or whatever, they, they're more likely to spend their money on things that are going to, you know, reduce their body fat or make them look better. And ultimately that does have a knock on effect on health. But actually this was my final question. The last one was second final, but um, <laughs> what, what's the relationship between testosterone and actual muscle loss because um, I know there's maybe this is there a one-on-one correlation between that or or how does that link up with muscle protein breakdown or synthesis um, you know it, I know that if you if you you know testosterone can increase muscle protein synthesis as well but I remember talking to Carl uh, Dotsky a long time ago on the podcast and I was actually get my I got my testosterone checked and it was during my competition prep, and it was really low, but I was still very muscular. So it's there's obviously not some linear, uh, you know, correlation between decreasing in testosterone and and muscle loss, because if that was the case, I would have had the same muscle mass as an elderly man, where I was actually quite muscular because I was uh, three weeks out from a competition.
1: So yeah, you, one thing there is you, you have to bear in mind is that muscle is accrued slowly over time. So I'm I'm sure you would have accrued that muscle over mm-hmm. a time where you you probably you were in a bulking phase. Um you probably had a more a healthier level of body fat. You were probably eating really really regularly, taking really really good care of your health. Um and yeah, testosterone does drop when you're dieting, but like if you think about it, dieting is going to be a relatively short period like you know, let's say 6 months or something like that. You know, your muscle isn't going to fall off in accordance with your your testosterone. If it did, like you know, you wouldn't have bodybuilding shows. It's yeah. just like people would diet down and they would just have a pile of stick figures on stage. Um, uh, that doesn't happen because we, our body will try and hold on to our muscle as long as we're giving it the right stimuli, which is exercise. Um, but if we look at, there is a correlation between decreasing uh, testosterone levels as we age and decreasing. Uh, muscle levels as we get older as well. Now, whether it's a one-to-one, I have absolutely no idea. I've never looked into that. But then on the opposite side of the thing, we also know that giving somebody uh, older people who are lower in testosterone, giving them a testosterone replacement dose uh, helps them to put on muscle um, gradually over time. But it's not an, it's not an instant thing. You know, Mm -hmm. it's not like, Oh, your, your testosterone levels are down for three months. Your muscle is going to fall off. You're going to hold on to it for a while. But if it's consistently low over a period of years, yeah, that's when somebody's in trouble.
0: Hmm. Yeah, that makes a lot of sense. So, so Richie, uh, where can people find more about you? And and thanks again for coming on.
1: Oh, thanks for having me. Um. So yeah, if anybody wants to find me, uh, I'm most active on uh, Instagram, uh, and my account is be more nutrition. So that's B underscore more underscore nutrition. I'm on Facebook as well as be more nutrition, and I have a website which uh, is in need of some updating, but uh, it's be more nutrition.com. And yeah, if ever anybody wants to drop me a question, I'm always happy to speak to them. I try and get through to DMS. Uh, I'm also trying to, I've been a bit lax with DMS lately, just because I'm trying to kind of fit more personal time in and not spend as much time on my phone, but yeah, I usually get back to messages and stuff like that. Um, And always happy to talk to people. So yeah, that's it.
0: Awesome, man. Thanks. Thanks so much again. So I hope you took something useful from this podcast, and if you're still listening, thanks for joining me for this episode. I found it very, very valuable, as I do for most of the episodes, or all of the episodes, in fact. But this is an area, like I said, it's not something that I really particularly gave a lot of thought or insight into, but getting old and aging is something that is probably one of the only certainties in life, and we're going to notice it as you get older with your family, or maybe you have, and, and ultimately yourself. So that's why it's so important to stay active to, to eat you know eat well eat enough protein to strength train as you get older so that you're not just living longer but you're living a, a better quality life as as you age and as your family age so please do leave a, a rating and a review if you found it useful um, preferably only good reviews But if you want to learn more about Richie, you can get him uh, at Be More Nutrition. That's his website. You can find out more about myself and coaching at healthmastery.co or you can reach me at adamac192. Ask any questions you have regarding this podcast or nutrition in general. But with that being said, thank you for listening to this episode and, and thank you for following on this podcast journey. And I will join you in the next episode when we have on more and great guests like Richie Kerwin.